Revelation chapter 9, and uh, we got through the vast majority of it last week. We got down towards the end of it, and um, we're kind of uh, touching on a few things <clears throat> uh, just by the as we were ending the lesson last week. And um, let me just give a real quick general synopsis so we can kind of <clears throat> figure out where we're at in Revelation. So the rapture has taken place um, at the beginning, and that's the thing that kind of kicks off the seven-year time frame of what we call the tribulation period. Shortly after the rapture, the Antichrist uh, it takes power and comes on the scene. We don't know how long of a period of time that is, but it will be a very brief period of time, I believe, uh, before he comes on the scene and, and takes control and becomes the ruler uh, of the world at that point. At that point, he's going to try to unify the world and have one religion, one monetary source, it seems like. Um, and uh, then we find that God begins to uh, bring some judgment on the world simply by, I think, uh, it's indicative of the fact that he just simply takes the Holy Spirit's um, hand of, of holding Satan and, and his um, emissaries back at this point in time. I think he just simply takes his hand off, and at that point, uh, Satan begins in the first three, I'm sorry, the first four seals uh, that were judgments, I think, are just simply God lifting his restraining hand and letting Satan have some of his course in the world. And uh, we saw the first six seals opened of a seven-sealed book, <coughs> and we saw a space where God says, stop everything until... Uh, I put my mark and my seal on those that have trusted me as their Savior, that believe on me. And so he, he seals 144,000 Jews, one of each of the 12, uh, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, as well as multitudes from every tribe and nation and country. And uh, that brought us to chapter number 8, where we begin to see the fifth, uh, the fifth um, uh, trumpet, I'm sorry, the, the, yes, <laughs> the seventh seal, was opened, and we saw the first four trumpets, and then we see the fifth trumpet in chapter number eight, and uh, I'm sorry, in the first part of chapter number nine, excuse me, um, and this is the first woe. There are three woes that are spoken of at the end of chapter number eight. Woe, 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 the angel said, and the fifth seal is the first woe. Uh, and it talks about that. And we got through that portion of it last week in chapter number nine. <coughs> We'll pick up reading in chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse number 12, as we see that the first woe is now past. And it says, One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And again, we find in this verse that it appears that there is a restraining power uh, that is holding back some kind of evilness that is to come out of these, this area. Now, the area of Euphrates uh, that is spoken of here would be the area near uh, our modern-day Iraq and that area where the old Babylonian Empire was centered. Uh, we find that later on we'll see that Babylon is restored uh, at that point in time and uh, is going to be kind of the central part of where the Antichrist and Satan kind of rules from there. That's going to be kind of the seat of where Satan is going to be doing all of these things. And uh, I do want to make a distinction here 
that uh, Satan is referred to as the devil in the Scriptures. Um, but uh, we're going to refer a few times here tonight to um, things of the occult, uh, or we will talk about devils, plural, little, little d and devils, plural. When we talk of those, there is no word demon in Scripture in our King James Bible. We refer to them often as demons, but the Bible terminology is devils. And um, we find that these uh, devils are the, the followers of Satan. They're the ones that go around and help him do his work. And it seems to me that when we get to verse number 15, that there are four of these devils, if you will, or, or at least evil power of Satan, that are being restrained. Because it says here that they were loosed. Uh, and it says that they were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Now, if you'll remember back to the uh, first two seals that were broken in the seven sealed judgments, uh, we find that the plant life was hurt and the waters were hurt, uh, but now we find men themselves being hurt. And the third part of men are killed here. <clears throat> and I don't, think, <clears throat> I don't think that that's speaking of gender here so much as mankind, uh, using the term men generically here to mean people, uh, are killed, the Bible says. And the number of the army of the horsemen, notice this, were 200,000 thousand. And I heard the number of them. So uh, I don't know who spoke it in heaven, but somebody told John there were 200,000 thousand. Now, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, if you do the math on that, that is a lot of uh, horsemen, isn't it? A thousand thousand would be what? Anybody know your math well enough to do that? It'd be a million, right? So we got 200,000 thousand would be 200 million horsemen. That's, a, that's an awful big... Uh, army there, uh, and notice what it says here. And I heard the number of them, and I thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire, and of uh, jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. Now there is some discussion about uh, what do these things represent? Are these supernatural creatures that? Uh, have come forth are these descriptions of modern-day machinery and warfare. Uh, it talks about the fact, and some people bring up the fact that uh, the Bible says that these uh, riders of these beasts uh, had on breastplates of, of fire and jacinth and, and brimstone, and um, that it, you know the, the, it's, it's uh, the fire and the brimstone is brimstone is a if you don't know what brimstone is, it's a burning sulfur. Uh, and gives off a really strong odor. Um, and so some people think that this is probably modern-day weaponry with, uh, with gunpowder and you know, that kind of stuff going on. I, I tend to lean more towards when the Bible says something like this, and it says, uh, I saw the, uh, it says, And I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of Jason and brimstone. It doesn't use the word like or as. And so I kind of tend to think that these are very literal uh, it also talks about the heads of the horses. Now, here we have some symbolism. It says, "...were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire, smoke, and brimstone." And again, some people think that these could be like tanks or things that would spew out fire and smoke and brimstone out of the, their mouths. Um, and, and these are things that uh, people speculate on. The truth of the matter is, it, it doesn't matter whether it's a modern-day piece of machinery or if it's a supernatural being, the thing is 
they're bringing judgment and killing a third of the people on the earth. And so don't, don't get bogged down. I know sometimes we get into Revelation, we want to just know all the, what is that little, what is that reference there? It really, some of that doesn't matter. What the point of it is, is these folks, these things are coming out and they are bringing God's judgment on a third of the people. By these three, notice uh, uh, in verse number 18, by the smoke and the fire and the brimstone, it says, by these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents. It doesn't say they were serpents, but like unto serpents. And had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils uh, and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here on the last few verses of this chapter. We find that, that at this point, it is, it is certainly not any question in anyone's minds, and we've even seen reference to this, that these men will even defy and say, we will not turn to God. And we've seen that in past chapters where they've already indicated that we know this is from God. And yet the Bible tells us here at the end of chapter 9 in this sixth seal, which is a portion of the second woe that's to come, uh, they, it is, they, they look at this and they, they still do not repent. And, and you know, the truth is we, we oftentimes uh, become overly, I think, overly critical in, in this aspect without looking at our own hearts. Because there are so many things that God deals with us in Scripture on that we, we openly and willingly do not live by. And yet we do not repent. We continue on. And I know it's easy for us to sit here in an armchair quarterback type of a situation and say, why in the world, after all of this, would these people not repent? The truth is, they like what they like. They like the flesh. They like the sinful nature that they're living in. And they do not want to admit that there is a God. And I think it goes on further because we see that there are certain things that are in the, involved that these men are, would say, are saying we would rather die than to turn from this. There's, there's several things listed here. Could you imagine being so attached to some things that you would rather die than give them up? This is the place that we find these people in. Uh, I, number of, a number of years ago, this would have been back probably in the uh, early to mid-90s, I think, when uh, there was a little magazine that came out every week or so uh, called TV Guide. I don't know if you remember seeing that around a number of years ago. I don't know how long how long ago they quit publishing those things. But uh, there was one year that they did a survey. And the, the survey was this. How many of you would be willing to give up your television for a year? Not, not for a lifetime, but for a year. For one year. How many of you would be willing to give up your television for one year? And they started naming off different amounts. And finally, they got all the way up to a million dollars. They said, if you would be willing to give up your TV for a year, for one year... For one million dollars, would you be willing to do it? And in the survey that they took, which spanned over several thousand people, the vast, strong majority, well over 50%, said not even for a million dollars would I give up. And, and think about this, in the 90s, that million dollars was worth a lot more, wasn't it? Especially in the day that we look at today. 
It's amazing how things of this world can get attached to us. And let me rephrase that. It's amazing how we become attached to them. Because the truth is this, we give our will and our heart to them. When you become attached to something, you're giving them your heart. Look with me, if you will, in verse 20. The Bible says in the middle of verse 20 that they repented not of the works of their hands, which were evil works. Obviously, this is referring to their their wicked lifestyle. And, And then it goes on to describe what the works of their hands are. That they should not worship, notice this, devils. They should not worship devils. The idea of devil worship when I was a kid, was so far-fetched, and you rarely ever even heard about it. With the rock music uh, coming into the United States, a lot of occultish and devilish things began to come in. And we began to see people gravitate to it. I'm telling you, we've actually seen even Christian people gravitate to it. You know, the fastest-growing genre... Of, of books and entertainment and movies that are, that are in existence today deal with the occult? Let me help you with something. Anybody know what the best-selling book of all time is? Anybody know? You got it right. Okay. The Bible. Best-selling book of all time. You know what the second one is? The Hobbit. The Hobbit, which some of you may not know about because it was years ago, was the prequel, if you will, to another thing that came about in recent years. And I haven't seen or read either of these, but uh, you may be more familiar with the title, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, They were tied together. It was all the same storyline. The third best-selling book, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. The sixth best-selling book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. The ninth best-selling book, The Da Vinci Code, which takes uh, some truth from prophecy of Scripture and twists it with the occult. Uh, By the way, Christians shouldn't have any part of that. It was amazing to me. This thing was done, apparently, I guess they did a, a thing in Hollywood. It was a book first, and they did it in Hollywood. It's amazing when they did it in Hollywood. I had people come to me and start asking me, is that real? Are they, are they right on that? Well, no, they're not right on that. They're Hollywood. You can't put right and Hollywood in the same sentence together. It's just not going to happen. The number 10 bestseller, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. The number 11 bestseller, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. The number 12 bestseller, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. The number 13 bestseller, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Number 14, Harry Potter, Half-Blood Prince. Number 15, Harry Potter, Deathly Hollows. Number 16, The Alchemist, which deals with the occult and chemistry and dark magics. Selling 65, all the way up to 140 million copies of each of these books. And here's the sad thing. I don't know how many times I've heard and had people come to me and say, uh, Christian people, people in our churches say, oh, yes, I bought my kid the latest Harry Potter book to read. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be overly picky and step on people's toes, but folks, we, as, as God's people, we are contributing 
to the kind of mindset that's going to be prevalent in the tribulation period where a society, an entire society, will say we would rather die than give this up. And we're almost there. I read and my heart broke as I read the news article relating the account of the, the recent shooting. And I, I am so, so, so tired, so tired of, of, of people that want to be in the, in the limelight, in the politics, and they try to take uh, horrible events and use it to their benefit. I'm so sick and tired of this. But I sat there as I, as I read that article and I began to weep. And I thought, we're not even addressing the problem. We're not even looking at the problem. We took, we took God out of our society, and willingly so. And, and here's the sad fact in the matter, and, and, and folks, don't get mad at me about this, but it's true. We have sat around and contributed to that happening because we've not stood up and said there is a moral absolute. There is a, a moral authority where you draw the line, and this is right, and this is wrong, and we've taken it out of our society. And said, men, you can decide for yourselves what is right and wrong. And it's ridiculous. I was in a, in, a, in a meeting the other day with a couple of men, and they were discussing the whole Roe v. Wade thing. And, and they, uh, they, they pulled up an interesting conversation. They said, well, you know, and they were saying, but what about this situation? And what about that situation? Both of them were, were not for abortion. But, but the one of them said, the one of them said, uh, what about when, when you, uh, in a laboratory, when, when they, they fertilize an, uh, four eggs and they only are going to use one and they, they throw the others away or they put them in the freezer? They said, what about that? Should, they, should that be uh, something we agree on? I said, well, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, should we be doing it in a laboratory? God's truth is simple. We don't have to, we don't have to, we don't have to complex this thing up with things that the world tries to muddy the waters with. Because the first time that we say, well, yeah, there ought to be an exception there, then we have just undermined the authority of God's Word. And now we have no authority. Man becomes the authority, and that is no authority at all. Now we live in an amoral society at best. And I wrote in a post today, and the post, I, it, I may make it blocked, but at worst it will be an immoral society. And that's where we find ourselves today. It's appalling to me that even God's people, we condone it by sometimes not knowing what it's about and allowing the next generation to participate in it. We've sometimes watched or read some of these entertainment things ourselves and looked at them and said, well, that was just, I know the difference between true and, and, and fake, and, and it was just entertainment for me to watch these things. No. It has an impact on you. I have a dear friend of mine that was a, a missionary to Haiti for a number of years, a number of years down there. And uh, he came uh, back to the States one day, and we went to lunch. This has been probably about 16, 18 years ago. In the early days when he was down there as a missionary, he had led a fellow to the Lord. Down there, voodoo is a very big part of their religious and, and, and their culture down there. A little over a hundred years ago, when uh, the government, uh, the, the leader of the government down there had a little baby called uh, Baby Doc. Some of you can probably remember some of that. 
uh, some of those things that happened. But uh, back when he, when that they got, when his father was born, for celebration for the country in their in their government documents, they dedicated the country to Satan. If you look at a map of Haiti, or if you look at any kind of uh, older pictures of Haiti, it was a green, lush. In fact, when I've been over there on missions trips, we've gone to some beautiful mansions up on the hillsides that are abandoned and overgrown with weeds. It was a very wealthy country. And from the moment they gave their country to Satan, they began a downward spiral. In fact, up until a few years ago when Google corrected color matching on the island, uh, you could actually pull up a satellite view and see the half of the island that was the Dominican Republic was all green and the whole half of the island that was Haiti was all brown. Google's changed that. They've, they've doctored the photo to make it so it's all green across the, the board. But it's amazing to me that when the, the first uh, missions came in there, which were Catholic missions, rather than teaching them the truth of the Scriptures, they intermingled their religion with the voodoo religion. And to this day, you go to Haiti and they have Hesu and they have Cristo all over everything and they have all these religious terms, Emmanuel, uh, on their businesses and on their vehicles and on everywhere you look, it's there. They're very religious people. But they mix their voodoo in with it. And there is certainly a dead religion at best and it's an occultic nature. And this missionary friend of mine at the early, in the early years when he was there, uh, had led a fellow to the Lord, and he wanted to go. They, they would do seances there. They would do sacrifices, animal sacrifices mostly, but he said they have been known to do even human sacrifices. He said, I went to the seance. This fellow was able to get me there, and we had to stand on the outside. And he said, I will not talk about what I saw. To this day, he won't. Other than to say this, there is a very real power there. He said, the whole time I was there, they were agitated because I was in the proximity. There is an alluring power that goes well beyond just entertainment. Well, I like that book. It was interesting. I like that movie. It was interesting. No, there's a power behind it. And it does get to the minds of people. And I, if you're a child of God, rest assured, Satan cannot possess you. But he can certainly oppress you. He can certainly quench the Holy Spirit's working in your life. He can certainly cause you to be a powerless and a Christian with such a poor testimony that the message we preach and teach goes no further than our lips. Notice what Elsa said here in verse number 20. It says that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood. Well, we're living in that day, are we not? The things that our kids covet, worship, look up to, long for, fame, fortune. Uh, to be an athlete, athlete or a musician that's well-known, that's famous. They, they worship these things. These are the things that they long for. They, can I put it this way? They give their hearts... It. There are some things that ought not even be associated with or named among God's people. And these are some of them. And yet, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves contributing to these things. Either by participating in them ourselves, 
or by standing idly by and not raising the warning. Notice what else is said here. The Bible says, uh, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. So certainly an idol can't do anything. There is nothing there. But it says this, neither repented thee of their what? Well, we see that prevalent today. I remember the first time I ever heard of a mass shooting. I think the first one I ever heard of was Columbine. Never even heard of anything such a thing. It was appalling, and it was such a rare event to ever hear of somebody who murdered without conscience just because they were, they were out there. Can I tell you this? I look at things like what this young man did in Texas. I look at the things in Sandy Hook and places like that. The answer is not to come up with new laws. That's not going to fix it. The answer is going to be to reach the hearts of the people before they get to that point with the Word of God. The answer is going to be to put the Bible back in our schools. To put bold preaching of the truth of God's Word in the pulpits. And to put parents in the home that will live consistently the truth of God's Word and a godly lifestyle for their kids. And will teach them and train them that way. That's going to stop all of this. We're not going to legislate our way out of this, no matter what you do. I was sitting at, uh, at the cancer center today outside, and they had a sign, a white sign. It was about this wide, and it was about this tall. And it had a picture of a handgun, and it had a circle and a line through it. And I looked at that sign, and I thought, if, if there's a man bent on going in there, that sign's going to stop him. Or maybe not. If he's bent on going in there, a sign's not going to stop him. Making a law is not going to stop him. Reaching his heart with God's Word will stop him. That's the answer to the problem. They did not repent of their murders. In verse 21 it says, Neither repented they of their murders, notice this, nor of their sorceries. Their sorceries. The sorceries were done with a lot of... um, the alchemists would be a lot of this. They would do black magics. They would do potions and, and uh, things like that. They would cast spells, that sort of thing. Uh, our drug society is, is a direct descendant of, because of all the, the, the chemicals and the, and the mind alteration, alterations that they do, uh, is a direct descendant from that. Uh, and we certainly see drug problems today. Uh, it's casting spells, witchcrafts. Uh, the, the, it's amazing to me that a certain time of the year, even God's people come out and celebrate Satan. I'm talking about in our churches. And our churches have, have decided, you know what, uh, we're not going to call it trick-or-treat, we're going to call it trunk-or-treat. Now, that'll make a big difference. No, it really won't. We're still showing and implying some things to our children. We are contributing to the degeneration of our society. Because not only do we allow these things to go on, but we stand idly by and silently by, and we don't call them out. And we don't come back to God's Word and say, but here's what God's Word says. At some point, some Christians need to become vocal about it. At some point, we've got to stand up and say a word or two. Write some letters. Call some people. Tell them about these things. 
Notice he says here in verse number 21, neither repent they of their murders or sorceries, notice this, or their fornications. Well, we're living in that day too, aren't we? Fornication is an expected lifestyle in the society we live in. You know that? I was talking to a fellow a number of years ago. This has been four or five years ago now. He was single at the time. He was a Christian fellow, loved the Lord, and he was wanting to get married. He had not had much success dating, and he asked about doing some dating apps. And I said, well, that's not a good idea, and he had been on some already. He said, what about the Christian ones? There's some Christian dating apps. And he went on there, and he had a couple dates with some, some women on the dating apps. He came back, and he said, you wouldn't believe these people, these ladies throwing themselves at me. We're living in a day where even God's people condone and stand idly by and don't say anything about the, the absolute uh, wickedness. that Our minds are so perverted in the society we live in that there's no longer even any conscience about it. For a boy and a girl to shack up together, we used to call it shacking up, and it was a shame, or to be living together. That was a shame when I was a kid. Those were things you did when you, and you were embarrassed about them. Now if you say anything about it, you're embarrassed because people make you feel so bad about it. But it doesn't change what God's Word says about it. And somewhere along the line, we've got to tell the next generation, listen, there is a standard. There is a moral absolute, and it does not change with society, and it does not change with circumstances. It's established in God's Word. He's a holy God. He's established a holy lifestyle, and He's established a holy set of morals for us, and He's taken the opportunity to tell us in His Word what they are. We've just got to get back to living them and teaching them and making sure other people know about them. And that will solve the ills of our country. That will keep the mass murderers down. That will keep the, the, the abortions down. There won't be so many babies born out of wedlock and babies that will need to be aborted. You say, well, shouldn't we do something about abortion? I think we'll do everything we can to be vocal about abortion. But if we're not teaching people the moral truth of God's Word, then we're failing in that area. I can go out here and lobby and politic all day long. I can write letters to my senator. I can make phone calls. But I'm not doing anything until I get out here and start teaching and telling people about what God's Word says. Because the answer is not going to be in our politics. There's got to be a change. If we're going to, in our lifetime, see any difference at all, then we as God's people need to rise up and start teaching and boldly proclaiming God's Word. This is what the Bible says. You say, well, Pastor, there's some people are going to be offended. They may, but they at least know. There's got to be a difference. There's got to be a change. Notice the Bible says this. Not only there are fornications, but it says, nor of their thefts. Wow. It's almost like these two verses read the newspaper last week, doesn't it? Almost like they watched MSNBC or some of these other shows. The looting. People walking into stores and in broad daylight grabbing things and walking out. And not having a conscience about it. 
we failed. We have failed our generations in the last three or four generations, and we're now paying the price. And if we don't want to continue to be in this place and even further degraded, we need to make a change now. I was listening to Dr. Clarence Sexton a number of years ago, and he made a statement. He said, if we're going to change the future, we have to disturb the present. You cannot continue to do what you've always done and expect a different outcome. If there's going to be some change in the United States of America, I, I, I have respect for the office, but our president's not going to do it. Our vice president's not going to do it, and none of our senators or legislators are going to do it. There may be some good people there. They may be fighting in all they can to try to do something legislatively. But the problem of the moral standard of our country is not because we have, don't have enough legislation. It's because we do not have a standard that we've raised high and said, this is what the Bible says. This is what God's mind is on this. This is His holy moral standard for mankind. He's given it to us. I mean, what more can we ask? The truth is, if we stand before God today, we stand without excuse because He has told us. And we have shunned it. I know the message hasn't really been a prophetic one tonight, but the day's coming when there's a society that will say, I would rather die than repent of these things. And folks, I don't know if you've realized this or not, but we're almost there. We're about a hair's breadth away. And there are some already among our midst that would say, I'd rather die than give those things up. May God help us to read, to study, to be able to understand and know how to rightly handle God's Word. And then may we pray for God to give us boldness be able to speak to people with grace but with boldness, with great power and with the Holy Spirit's help to make a difference in this world. We are a city that's set on a hill. We are a candle that can be put upon a candlestick. We are salt. The sad thing is I believe that in many cases we've lost the savor. And somewhere along the line, we need to pray and say, Lord, we need your power. We need your might. We need your strength in character and in service to be obedient to your word and to teach others also. I hope that will help us tonight. I want to ask you to, to take and weigh the message. Pray over it and ask what God would do in your heart for it. I know sometimes we look and say, but there's just a few of us. What can one do? Well, if we'd get on fire, there'd be that many fewer that need to get on fire for the Lord. And some, something that God can stir our hearts with. Let's stand together we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. Lord, we're living in troubling times. There's no doubt about it. Our hearts break as we look at some things going on. And the truth is, we've lived in the lap of ease for so long, and I'm grateful and I'm thankful for the country you've placed me in. I am so grateful for the family that you put me in. And Lord, I certainly do not look back on my life with regret. But with that ease, and with that liberty, 